Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Condon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Condon. Friends, I'm so excited to introduce you to my latest sponsor, Storyblocks. Storyblocks is a stock footage company who exists to help you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time or budget or resources. Every creator who does any kind of video production should have a Storyblocks membership, and here's why. They are changing the face of stock footage with more diverse and inclusive content in their library to help creators continue to tell their unique and authentic stories. Their restock program is their commitment to increase representation in stock media by hiring creators from marginalized communities to create content that is more reflective of the diverse world we live in. They are also committed to access by making their footage affordable, offering unlimited downloads, a royalty-free demand-driven library, and enterprise licensing. Focused on speed, diversity, and accessibility, I highly recommend checking them out at storyblocks.com slash that's storyblocks.com slash Congdon. Y'all, I am so thrilled to share this episode with you. So last week, I got to hang out with champion gravel cyclist and artist, designer Sarah Sturm. I met and befriended Sarah on the Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder, which is the five-day stage race I did earlier this year. So if you're not an athlete and are tempted to hit stop right now on your phone, I want you to hang in there. Sarah is one of the most energetic, inspiring, positive humans I've ever met, and I think we all have a lot to learn from her. So whether you're interested in bikes at all, I still think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Sarah is unlike any other professional bike rider. She randomly started cycling in college as a road racer. And I say randomly because it's not like she came into college with an interest in cycling. She tells a little bit about the story in this episode. But by the end of her time there, while she was successful, she was disillusioned with the hyper-competitive racing scene of road cycling. So after college, she took a break. And within a few years, she returned full-time to cycling. But the second time around, she followed her love for mountain trails and technical terrain into off-road cycling, first as a single-speed cyclocross champion and then as a gravel racer, which is where I met her. In 2019 alone, pre-pandemic, Sarah raced to podium finishes at the Belgian Waffle Ride, the SBT Gravel Race, and the Sea Otter Classic. And in 2021, she's won the Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder, which is that five-day stage race that I just mentioned where we met, Lead Boat, which is actually two races combined over one weekend in Colorado, among many other podium finishes this year. And her cycling resume is impressive, but what's even more inspiring is her attitude and approach. She doesn't train in the traditional way most endurance athletes do with strict training plans and attachment to a heart rate monitor. Instead, she relies on her intuition and her love for cycling as her training motivator. She also prioritizes community over competition and works as a coach to kids in her hometown and as a positive force in the sport for inclusion. When she's not training and racing, she runs a successful graphic design firm from her home in Durango, Colorado, where she lives with her boyfriend and her adorable dog, Norman, who I got to meet. She sees having a balanced life as the key to happiness, and she is constantly reminding herself and others that there is more to life than cycling. It might just be this laid-back attitude that helps her win races. I hope you enjoy this interview with cyclist and artist, Sarah Sturm. Sarah! Hello! (laughs) Hi! I'm so excited to talk to you today and to hear your nice giggle. I have gone down a Sarah Sturm rabbit hole. Oh no. Just, well, no, I mean, mostly in preparation for this interview, I like to like, I know, oh no. know, know who I'm talking to. I mean, I, I feel like I learned a lot about you when I first met you, but one of my favorite things about you is your laugh. And I, I know people tell you that a lot because I've actually heard other people 
tell you that. But anyway, don't ever stop laughing. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you today, both about being an athlete and being a creative person and the ways that both of those things feed you and the ways that they kind of intersect in your life. Just so folks know, I met Sarah on Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder, which was for those of you who follow me online, that crazy five day, 350 mile <laughs> gravel race I did back in June of 2021. So there are a few things I want to say here. And one of the things I want to say is that part of what I love about cycling culture and gravel races is people like you. So this was my first, I had been riding gravel for about a year. This was my only my second race, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> probably one of the stupidest things I ever did, but I managed to survive. And honestly, I wasn't even racing. I was just trying to finish, literally. And on two different days, I didn't finish once because I crashed on the first day. And on the last day, I like basically ran out of water. So we met and you knew who I was, which tickled me and had followed me online, etc. And I'm this 53-year-old complete amateur and you're a 30-year-old professional racer, and you treated me with the most respect. Oh. And that was really lovely, and you were just so kind. Oh, so. oh you're going to make me cry. No, that's uh. like, I mean, I. it's so funny to hear your side of all of that because I remember seeing you, because obviously, like, I followed you through the design world, and I actually follow more designers than I do cyclists just because it's kind of like a nice little break from yeah. cycling. And then I was like, oh my God, and she rides a bike. Like, yes, so cool. And then I saw that you were going to Oregon Trail and then you followed me and I basically died. And then I got to meet you and I've taken one of your classes. <laughs> like, I mean, I wasn't like in your class. I was right. like at my computer and I purchased your class. <laughs> and my mom was there. like, it was just such a cool experience for me too. Yeah. And that's also why I ride gravel. Well, yeah, it was like, it was kind of kismet, I feel like, because I didn't know who you, I actually have become obsessed with gravel racing since Oregon Trail, oddly, or maybe not oddly. <laughs> I literally follow every race, like, now I'm rooting for you and following. I was going to say, you are on it. You and my mom. <laughs> I literally, I watch the results online. Oh, you know, Jody and so cool. Clay and I, there was a big heat wave here a few weeks ago and we were all at, Clay and I own a beach house in Manzanita, Oregon. And so we like escaped the heat to go to the beach and Jody came with us. She's sort of like family to us. And so <laughs> one weekend, it was when you were, it was like the lead boat thing. It was oh, that weekend. Yeah. And Jody and I went on our usual morning ride together and we got back and I was like, oh, they're going to start televising it in half an hour, you know? So I took a shower and I was following along, but then it was like not a whole lot of women's results right away, but I was right. logging in. And this is how I've become a gravel junkie. And they were both like, what? Who are you? <laughs> like, what? I've never really been interested in sports except swimming. I used to be a competitive swimmer before I got into cycling. But even with cycling, I'll watch the Tour de France or whatever, but it's cool. I'm not, I haven't been a geek for something like this in a long time. I think the coolest part about like, cause I've been, you know, a pro mountain biker, like I've done the pro cross thing and like the gravel piece is so cool to me because well, one, we all do a mass start, you know, and we all would have done mass starts in Oregon. And we did the previous year had it not been such a gnarly heat wave. And it was like a safety thing. But like, it's the coolest part for me, because everyone pros from all over the world race with people who sign up for like one event in a season and want to complete it. And there's plenty of both of those sides. And to me, it just like, and I like follow all of the racing even more than I ever have ever as an athlete. Cause it's fun. Like you get to like meet and talk to the people that you're racing with. And then when they're like overseas racing at the Olympics, I'm like following, you know, their races and I call them like, Hey, how did it go? Like, tell me everything about Tokyo or like world champs or like that gravel race that I missed because I was at another one. Like it's just a cool community of people. And like, honestly, right now, that's kind of what we all need, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it's been such a breath of fresh air for me. Like, cool. I, while I'm a faster road rider than the average 53-year-old woman, I'm by no means elite. And I'm way less elite on gravel. And we'll talk about that in a second because um, I get so terrified of descending, which is 
a topic I want to discuss. But one of the things I love about it is that not only do you get to start with all of these pros and meet them, you get to eat dinner with them. It's something like yeah. Oregon Trail. We're all camping and showering in like weird little showers. It was, and- it was <laughs> one time I was in the shower with a bunch of you all and I got really intimidated, which is silly because most of the time, you know, I was eating dinner with former Olympians and, you know, or whatever. Like it's kind of crazy. It's so cool. And everyone is so friendly and accepting and yeah. lovely. And it was just, one of the most positive, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but it was definitely one of the most positive things I've well, ever done. I think it was Eddie Merckx, a famous road guy, said, cycling, it doesn't ever get easier. You just get faster. And I I honestly think about that a lot. So like Leadville 100 is also like similar. I actually kind of think Oregon Trail was kind of harder, just so you know. And like Leadville 100 mountain bike race it's this classic gnarly endurance race. You start at 10,000 feet, you race all the way up to like, I think over 13 or close to it. And you gain almost like 15,000 feet the whole day in a hundred miles. So it's a lot of climbing and it's gnarly and people sign up for it as that marathon kind of event, you know, like they train for, or maybe sometimes don't train for it and just suffer through it. But it's something that I think about when I'm out there with everybody. Cause there's a couple points on the course where you see people you pass people who are like at a certain point when, you know, you're finishing that or whatever. And it's special to me to see people pushing themselves. And it's no different. Like the person who finishes last is no different than the person who finishes first. And I think that's something that's been like a cool piece to experience as a professional athlete. Cause it's, I mean, it's pretty inspiring, honestly, like I get to prioritize my life. So I am like, at peak fitness for those things. And it's hard in some ways because, yeah, I'm like trying to go as fast as I possibly can. But that's just as hard as trying to finish it, you know? (laughs) Right, exactly. And I've been so impressed with how inclusive the gravel community and the leaders in the gravel community are being around folks of color, women and non-binary folks, and like folks with different body sizes who've generally sort of been left out of the conversation. And in road cycling, which is the thing that I'm sort of better at, I I have no desire to like race, but in gravel I do because it's not really about winning. It's about totally. finishing this thing that's really hard. And by the way, Sarah won the women's field overall in Oregon <laughs> Trail Gravel Grinder and has gone on to not only podium, but win a, a couple other races since then. And so <laughs> speaking of passing people, so on day four, yes. I fell. We were, okay, so there was so much sand on this ride and I had never ridden on sand before. The first day it just about killed me, but- I fell on the sand and Sarah was <laughs> passing me because as Sarah mentioned earlier, the amateurs started before the pros on the last two days because of the heat. They wanted all of us who were going to get heat stroke to go first, I guess. But we kind of <laughs> laughed like you saw it happen and you're like, Lisa, is that you? And I was like, yep. And I was so embarrassed, but also like so you said you were like, I haven't fallen all day, all day. <laughs> and then like the second Sarah passes me, I'm in mid fall. But it just like kind of shows anything can happen in gravel. And since I've been paying attention, I see like there was one time I was following. I think it was the race I referred to earlier, the the steamboat where you got a flat and like all of a sudden you were like not in 10th place anymore. And I was like, what happened to Sarah? (laughs) No, you were actually in sixth or fifth or sixth. You were in the lead group. And then I was like, what happened? But you were definitely like in contention. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, Something happened. Yeah. And sure enough, I found out later because you said you got a flat. And that's the thing. It's like there's something about gravel, and I'm assuming this is true about mountain biking too, but there's like this – it's kind of like the terrain is the great equalizer. And so you can be a racer and be super fast and just have a shitty day. Yeah, totally. Even when you're super experienced. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting too. Like, I don't know how closely you've been like there's a little bit of drama right now in the gravel scene, which we don't we don't even need to like I don't know. It'll work itself out. It's interesting. I'm excited to talk to you about all of this because naturally all of the women have grown closer together through all of this. There's like a little bit because there's so few rules right now, because it's kind of this like fun it's like thing. The Wild West. It is yeah. totally. And like it originated because American road racing is kind of petering out as is like American UCI mountain biking, all these classic ways of racing bikes. 
and honestly kind of exclusive like to be a competitive road racer you can't just show up as an individual you have to have a team which is also kind of a cool part of road like the team aspect is something that I actually really loved about road racing in some ways some sometimes those teams can be kind of mean (laughs) so I was like not for me and then like mountain biking was always cool and it had the same energy as gravel racing in some of the races that I went to but there's just like Mountain biking in and of itself is kind of exclusive because you have to have this totally different bike and like you kind of have to live in the mountains to like train for it, which is, as we know, like it's expensive to live in the mountains. And so gravel racing, you know, what was Kansas and is now Unbound is this like massive, like 200 mile gravel race in Kansas of all places. And the reason it was so cool and different was because like, you could just show up and like you could do it on a whatever bike you had. If you have a cross bike, you could try to jam like bigger tires on your road bike. And I think just the nature of it, like is what has brought everyone into it. Cause it's more accessible. Like sure. If you want to get like more and more into it, you can get like a specific gravel bike and gravel tires and gravel this and that. And like, there's plenty of things to like occupy your attention in that way. But, like, ultimately, you just kind of have to show up and, like, try to finish, which is, like, the coolest part. Yeah, that's right. And there's, like, because it's the Wild West, because there are no rules, there's obviously, and because it's such a new genre of cycling, right? Like, all of these questions are emerging about what's okay and what's not okay. Should we allow this? Should we institute rules? Should we not? You know, and there's advantages to riding with the team, right? Because totally, uh, if you have a domestique, you get your water. You don't have to unclip. You don't have to get off your bike. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so... I just think it's such a healthy conversation. I'm glad it's happening. Even though- Yeah, it's it just started in a rough way, right? Like it started because this one woman who's been crushing these kind of more road centric races like Unbound and Steamboat, like you can really like race in road shoes for those, which mm. I don't because road shoes are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I hate them. I could never clip in and then I always like slip and end up smashing my like bits uh-huh. into the saddle. Like it's just never like a fun thing for me but anyway my point with all of that is that her winning like she's you know had a team of people with her and it's not against the rules but then like other people are kind of bummed about that because they didn't and it is potentially going to maybe change gravel racing which I don't know I kind of have gotten to the point where I'm like I'm just still going to sign up for races that I think are really cool and I like the energy like Oregon Trail, still like one of my all-time favorite events. Just the energy around it is, it's like adult summer camp, you know, like you finish and like you shower together in like these gross high school locker rooms and like like, all eat food together and camp and it's so fun. And like, I don't know, I just feel like that winning mentality is just so different, you know, in different races. Like Steamboat, there was a lot of media. It's really accessible for like front rangers, like flying into Denver. And like, it's just an easier event to complete in some ways. Cause the gravel, like Lisa, if you ever can come to steamboat, honestly, you and your wife would probably love it. Cause it's, it's like dirt pavement. So it's like really, it's kind of weird that I flatted there, honestly, of all the races <laughs> that I've done, like did not flat at Oregon Trail, which is basically mountain biking on a gravel bike. <laughs> well, that's the thing everybody said to me. They're like, it's gnarly. That, that wasn't, a lot of people were like, that's not even really gravel. That was just like mountain terrain. And you did it on this like. But I love, I love that yeah. stuff. And that's, yeah, totally. <laughs> you can choose whatever race you want to experience like I I signed up for the rift in Iceland this year and now I know I don't love flat races (laughs) yeah that's so interesting I did one other race last spring out at the coast here in Oregon Uh and it was all gravel 60 miles and 6,700 feet of climbing so it was a lot of climbing on gravel so it was that's a lot. Wagon. It was a lot. <laughs> but there was no like potholes or like redded wagon roads. So Jody, my friend, had done Oregon Trail before and she convinced me to do it. And it's funny, up until the last day, I was like, oh, I would totally do this again. And the last day was so hellish for me. And apparently, because I didn't finish, technically, I kind of, I, I like got a ride to the mountaintop and like rode my bike down into Bend. So like I clocked plenty of miles that day. But because I didn't finish, they said that I died of dysentery. 
And my poor 83-year-old mother was like, like, she doesn't know the reference. And she was terrified. And um, I know it was kind of mean. But anyways. I I requested that shirt, actually, when we finished. I was like, can I actually have the Diet of Dysentery shirt? I really want one. I didn't get one. I think I just, I got in and I was like, give me a hamburger. (laughs) You know what? The first year I did it, I never got my shirt because I actually crashed out of that race. Oh, that's right. I remember. Yeah. So I never got my shirt which is why I wanted this. So you'll have to go back and get another one. <laughs> I know, I know. And technically, I didn't get the DNF for whatever reason on the first day. Yeah. Where I also crashed like five miles before the finish. But mm. anyway, so you got into gravel racing in 2018. Yeah. Which wasn't very long ago. And at the time, you'd not ridden over 100 miles. You were mostly a cross racer, right? Mm-hmm. For those folks who don't know what cross riding is, can you explain? Yeah, it's like a funny little like European niche sport that kind of originated for like road racers to stay fit through like the crummiest months in the winter, like the off season, if you will. And they would race from like small European town to small European town. And by race, I mean, they were just kind of all just, okay, we have to get to this town and like ride as fast as they could and they would like run through people's gardens and upstairs which is why like you carry your bike and stuff okay and then over time it kind of evolved to be its own circuit race type of sport and it's done on a bike that actually looks like a gravel bike or a road bike with like big thick knobby tires and it's usually like I don't know like a 10 minute lap it kind of varies, but you race for like just under an hour and however many laps it takes. And it's on dirt and snow and mud because it's in like, you know, the middle of winter and you're freezing, but like you're wearing like spandex, which is so crazy. So when I'm training for cross, I look like a crazy person because I'm literally like running through parks, shouldering my bike in like bike shoes with a helmet on. How did you get into it? I got into racing when I moved to Durango, Colorado for school. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque and I just weirdly picked a college that had the number one ranked collegiate cycling team at the time. And I went to play soccer and I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school because I was a graphic design major. And yeah, I signed up for a triathlon and I was like, "Mm, I still really hate running and swimming. And I don't think I want to play soccer anymore because I'm burned out. So I joined the bike team and I was so bad. I was so bad. Oh my God. I was like the person who would like stop to like get my water bottle out because I didn't have enough bikes. And you had those road shoes. And the stupid road shoes. So you got into cycling when you went at Fort Lewis and then Mm -hmm. you discovered cross. Yeah. That's kind of where I got into cyclocross because, you know, Durango is like a small mountain town and everyone mountain bikes. And it was so scary. I was way off the back because everyone who was on the Fort Lewis cycling team had all been racing through high school and, you know, had all this experience, which now I'm a collegiate coach and they all look like babies. <laughs> I just coached with the 16-year-old boys group yesterday and I was like, oh my God, I forgot about this. <laughs> I forgot how angsty they are about everything. Yeah. And I was like, yep. you guys don't even know. <laughs> but yeah, so then it was just such a cool format because I got to try a bunch of stuff and like all my friends were riding. And like, I really honestly started mountain biking because I just wanted to hang out with the fun kids. And it was a really like emotionally and physically painful process, to be honest. I was way behind and like I had this engine. So like I would do super well on the climbs because usually they were like at ski areas, the races. And it was just like an easy, I mean, not technical climb. And I would get ahead of everybody and then I would like get to the descent and then just hold everyone up. And it was just like so emotionally painful because I was like, come on around. (laughs) (laughs) And then through the years, I was just like, I was much better naturally at road. I just never fit in to the scene, you know, like it was just, I don't know. I just got along better with the cyclocross and mountain bike people. And cross was kind of this perfect mixture of You had to be like super strong and you didn't have to be like so good at the technical stuff like you do for mountain biking. And I just found like my niche. And then I actually quit racing after like I was on this local pro mountain bike team. And then I got back into it. Actually, in Portland, I signed up like 
three years later after I'd quit and like, you know, done some adventure riding and bike packing and kind of enjoyed riding a bike because I got into it through racing. So it like never was like super fun ever. It was just always competitive. And so I took a chunk of time, which is when I was starting my career as a graphic designer and it was kind of perfect. But then I got back into racing again because I saw that single speed cyclocross worlds, which sounds serious, but it is and it isn't. <laughs> it's serious in that you have to be equal parts good at partying and good at riding a bike. <laughs> and it was in Portland and I had never been. And, and so my partner, Dylan, and I, we went with a friend and it was so much fun. And I got third and I was like, yeah, holy like, shit. I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I like raced in my jean shorts and like, <laughs> I was taking like whiskey shots and like oh, running man. through a bus full of strippers and <laughs> it was wild. And then I signed up for like cyclocross nationals the following year in the single speed category. And then I was like, oh, might as well like try to get into the pro race too. And I got a top 10 in the pro race and like no one knew who I was. And I got second in the single speed category. And it just, it was like weirdly perfect timing because Specialized was starting a new cyclocross team with 10 Speed Hero, which is this other clothing company based which out of Chicago. super cool, by the way. And it was like... Great merch. Yes. Yeah. Luke, the guy that runs the whole thing, you know, he's this artist and photographer and a teacher in Chicago and we've become really, really great friends. And, you know, he works with female graphic designers to create these kits and it was like my dream come true. I was wearing the artwork of this female designer that was all custom made for us. And our helmets matched our shoes and our bikes and our, you know, it was all just this like perfect meshing of the art world and the bike world. And I, you know, I was just super and you were excited having fun. and I was having fun. But then I was like this 28 year old, like, or wait, 27 trying to like, race on the world circuit cycle it was I was like I feel too old for this yeah yeah <laughs> but that's it, uh, you wasn't <laughs> turns yeah. out yeah <laughs> wow yeah exactly I love that I, I feel like my favorite like combinations have to do with cycling food and art oh like, yeah you know I just feel like those are all of my love languages yeah so let's talk about design for a second yeah totally you're also a designer you studied design in college yep. And I've heard you say in one way or another that design helps you to remember that there's more to life than cycling, which is really funny because cycling helps me to remember that there's more to life than oh, art. Totally. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've done like all the jobs in design that you could have. I kind of went in straight to like in-house design and like I learned so, so much because you know, I wanted to be a fine arts major and graphic design kind of felt like a more employable option. And it at is. the time, <laughs> yeah, totally. And I was like, I was really getting into bike racing and I was like, okay, also this is like a way I can be creative, but it's not my passion and I could probably do it while I'm traveling. So like actually now, like talking through this with you, I'm like, wow, I was so strategic in my choices. I don't know if I actually thought that at the time, yeah. but I also think that you know, I knew that I wanted to be creative and that was the best option for me. And I was like, it's crazy. You're like so young in college. I'm pretty sure your I started. Your brain doesn't even fully develop until you're No, 29. I didn't even have all the folds in my brain. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like trying to decide like what I want to do as a human being. And yeah, so like my career as a designer has always kind of paralleled cycling. And for me, like it's kind of gone on and off with which one I prioritize. But yeah, I like had an in-house design job for a local company that I then got some really great experience in the world of business. And this company was bought and acquired. Like I got to see what an acquisition looks like, which I was the millennial in the company. Like what the heck? My paychecks are coming from Nestle now. Like it was a wild experience. And then I went to like some small design firms and then I've always kind of run my own just freelance business and kind of have recently turned it into like more of, I just wanted there to be kind of a bridge for like students graduating from the college to like the art scene. Cause Durango is really great for a lot of things, but being a creative hub 
is not one of them. It is very, very far from Portland. And I don't know if you've ever been here, but there's a lot of Jokerman font. There's lots of papyrus <laughs> and Comic Sans, lots of really bad gradients and bad clipping. <laughs> So, you know, just doing my part to try and fight that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's a very, very important role. <laughs> yeah. So now I just, I run it on the side and we take on just small clients and I try to give students who have just graduated and interns who are in school some kind of experience in the freelance world. Like I wouldn't say I give them like firm experience because it's just kind of like me. But I really love working with young people and like talking about art. And I just got kind of sick of it just being like me in my own head. So I've brought on a couple, I would just call them coworkers, honestly, at this point, because <laughs> they help run the ship. <laughs> you must really have to like, you know, you spend so much of your time training and traveling yeah. to race, especially during certain times of the year. And I was yes. actually not sure if you were going to continue to do cross because I know you've gotten really into gravel and mm -hmm. you've been traveling a lot this summer and then cross season starts now now <laughs> so I was curious and I, I imagine in the winter you're probably you know still being active and bikepacking I know is important to you yeah but you probably have more downtime I imagine too, yeah and to like get into your creativity more yeah you know actually during the pandemic which is crazy I was you know, obviously we all had some time to pause and I was actually just talking to a friend about the like mental health component of COVID and like the break that a lot of us got in 2020, especially as an athlete. And, you know, there's, there were kind of two ways people went about it and it was just a roller coaster for everybody. But for me, it kind of was this like space for me to actually, you know, have some clarity on some things in my life. Like I wasn't just scrambling getting to the next race which <laughs> I'm doing now again <laughs> just fell right back into it but I like really missed being creative and like having time to like paint and you know do all of the things that had kind of gotten pushed to the side as my career as an athlete started to take off and so I got a chance to like for like a year really put some time and effort into like my creative business and creative side, which was super fun. I got back into watercolors and started, you know, my company is called Oso Creative and took on like an employee. And it was like, I felt like a crazy person, like kind of starting a business in a pandemic. And we have not slowed down since like we're having to like turn away clients and it's really it's so hard, but we, it's cool because we get to take on some passion projects. I would say I've just kind of decided that that's all I have the capacity for. Cause I don't like to take on too much that whole under promise over deliver. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's the sweet spot. Cause I am gone yeah. so much. And like, you know, I hire very junior design level people, <laughs> you know, like kind of that intern phase of their careers. So it requires a lot of hands-on collaboration, which I love, but I also don't have a ton of time and capacity. Like leading up to Lead Boat was really the hardest because I actually, I had to tell them like, all right, you guys have to like take over for the next two weeks. I need to like focus on this race. And they did awesome. And it was like a cool experience for me to like <laughs> let go. I imagine that's a tough thing for like someone like you to like hire somebody and be like, all right, <laughs> delegate. Here you go. Good luck. Yeah. Hope it all ends up okay. It is hard because yeah. ultimately people end up doing things differently than you would do them. And I've just kind of decided that that's really okay. <laughs> it has to be. I think even for me as somebody who is like full time, kind of well-known in demand artist. And yet I have these things that I like to do outside of making art, cycling being one of them. And right. in order to, you know, like the week before Oregon Trail Gravel mm -hmm. Grinder, I rode my bike 350 miles around Southern Oregon with my friends. Right. And I basically took the whole month of June off yeah. to ride my bike and then recover and then ride my bike again. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have to sort of like trust the people on your team or trust that the world's not going to fall apart if you stop doing something. And, you know, the great thing is like, 
you know you're not going to ride your bike forever. Like you will ride your bike forever. What I mean is you're not going to race forever. Yeah, and exactly. how many people in your position who grew up, unlike you fell into this, like you didn't even know when you got to college that this was what you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know even then that you were going to end up racing in the way that you do now. And so you study this other thing, you fell in love with the creative process and your mom's an artist. And I want to talk about that in a second, but like you didn't know your life was going to turn out this way, but probably there's part of you who's like, okay, I know I got this when this other thing, either when I'm burned out or when I'm getting too old and tired, you know? So I love that you like, I mean, that is where my brain goes on these rides sometimes. Cause I'm like, I mean, I'm not, you put it perfectly. That's, that is literally what I think about so often. And like, you know, like you said, like, I'm not going to, I don't want to do this forever. One, it's really hard on your it's body. It's not sustainable. No, no. And I mean, no one's really done these back to back ultra endurance. I mean, we're moving into like a new phase of cycling and, you know, friends like Lael, she's like an ultra endurance But, like, I am so curious, like, the long-lasting effects of, like, I mean, Leadboat was a lot. Like, that, I was like, this isn't good for you. (laughs) And also, like, I don't know, being a woman in sport is so weird because, like, you know, if you want to have kids, you also, like, think about, you know, we're, I'm not really sure. You have to have enough body fat to support. Right. Or, like, you have to take time off the bike. That's you know, right. the guys who do Tour de France, you know, you see them with their kids on the podium, but you're like, well, you could train <laughs> yeah. through, like, not only, like, the pregnancy, yeah. but, like, the infancy. And, like, so there's all these really interesting components that as a 31-year-old woman, I'm like, yeah. I am, yeah. you know, you think about. And so... And also like just the mental piece too. And like being an athlete is interesting in that like everything you do is about your own body and your own, just you. And like, you know, you're a teacher, you instruct and guide people. That's a selfless thing, you know, like that isn't just about you. And like, I like to coach, but I also always have to like figure out my training and, you know, me in between everything, which is why like, you know, I think down the line, like, all right, I'd love to still be in the creative field because I, I don't know if I could do anything. Like, it's the thing I love the most. And so I'm always trying to figure out, like, all right, I want to take full advantage of a really unique opportunity to get to be a professional athlete. It is a weird, wild ride. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to... At this very concise point in your life like yeah. all the stars have aligned yeah I mean I think like when I was getting into it in college I was like I love this and I want to do this like I've always been a jock and it's like a weird mix of like being a jock and being in the art scene in high school I remember it was just like that didn't <laughs> yeah I've always been one of those weirdos too who's yeah because like... you were a swimmer also. yeah I was like I was a pretty competitive swimmer. I coached master swimming for years. And, and then, you know, I started cycling when I was about 30, not seriously at all. Actually, yeah. I've gotten more serious about cycling in the last two <laughs> years, oddly. But there's so many things about being an athlete that are great, but they're not like sustainable in the right. same, well, nothing working really, really hard at right. anything right. Totally. is going to cause you to get burned <laughs> out. But yeah. it's especially true about being an athlete. And there's all these stereotypes about what it means to be a jock and what it means yeah. to be like an art kid. And I, especially in my adult life have been, I was definitely a jock in high school and, mm-hmm. you know, like one of the books that I wrote and illustrated was about swimming and I'll meet other people who have that kind of same combination, which is rarer because I think it's both a stereotype that most artists are like nerdy and like to sit around and play video games and, you know, not exercise. I think right. there is a lot of that that is true, but there's a lot of that that sure. is stereotype. And conversely, we think that all jocks are yeah. like not creative or not interested in anything intellectual. And so, well, and you said that in your class too, about um, the one I took was like time management for creative yeah, people. Yeah. And you said the same thing. Like we get labeled as like disorganized and yeah. you were like, you can choose if you fit that stereotype. That's right. 
or if you want, you know, you might actually naturally be disorganized, but you can learn to be organized and you can yes. choose to be organized. Right. Yep. So I can relate to that too. Like I, I think it's very confusing to people sometimes that I'm so fully both and I allow myself to be so fully both. Mm-hmm. Like I identify as both an athlete and an artist and I actually happen to have more success, whatever that means yeah. in my art career than I have pursuing athletics but it still feels like a really important balance to me. And yeah. so I always get really excited when I meet other people who have that interesting dichotomy about them. Oh, I love I love it. I mean, I feel like, I don't know, maybe that's why we got along so well. Yeah. Well, and I also think that there's a, I wrote about this in my book, The Joy of Swimming, but I feel like there's this muscle, for lack of a better word, that you have to exercise when you're an athlete that is also true when you're creative. Like there's this way that you have to push through pain and discomfort and you know when you're on your bike and your legs are screaming or you've taken a couple months off and you're trying to get back in shape or whatever and you're just like it's so hard and good athletes are really good at pushing through pain they have this grit element and actually I did a lot of research for this other book I wrote on finding your creative voice and one of the things that I learned in my research was that Highly creative people also are really comfortable being uncomfortable. Interesting. They're really good at enduring pain and discomfort. Yeah. Because being creative is like you're putting something new out, right, for people to respond yeah. to. And it's it's very vulnerable. And so you have to just be – like a lot of people stop being creative because – they can't get to where they want to go and they're worried about, oh, this isn't perfect, so I'm not going to do it at all. And there's just these muscles that I use in both parts of my life that are so similar and complementary. Yeah. I also think like just to your point of like entrepreneurs, one would argue they're super creative because they're coming up with this new and like that is a whole realm of human that I you know, I've never lived in the Bay Area. I just have friends and it's a different vibe. That entrepreneurial spirit is very different. But I've heard that like there's so many people that are so close to that success, that idea, like tipping over and making it. But it's like that endurance, it's an endurance event. You do have to like struggle and push through and endure and have grit because it is a rough road. <laughs> right. And actually, if it happens too fast, we do know, you know, there are some people who experience overnight, like, not literally overnight, but like quick success. But those people often can't maintain it because they haven't learned all the lessons you need to learn along the way. And The I, same happens in athletics. Oh, I'm sure. Like you have the physical ability because you're like some freak of nature, but you haven't built the like emotional endurance or the, totally. you know. Enter mental health. Enter mental health. <laughs> you know? I know. We could do a whole <laughs> to, other episode. To all that. of it. I know. <laughs> so I want to talk about one of the things I love about you is your attitude about racing. It's sort of mm. the attitude I like to have about, you know, being a well-known artist. It's it's not about the finish line or the destination yeah. or arriving at some place when you win or become super successful. And like right. those things are awesome when they happen, right? But what's really joyful and heartwarming are the relationships you form along the way, right? Yeah. And the people you meet and the scenery you get to experience. So talk about how you formed that perspective. Like if you've always had it since you were a kid or if you learned it or a combination. Well, my parents always like told me like when I was like a really young kid, like I was just super social and just one of those obviously very extroverted But, like, relationships and friendships have always been, and maybe this is something, you know, my mom really modeled growing up, which was a funny combo because my dad was always riding his road bike. So I got, you know, here I am. <laughs> like, that. I guess that makes sense. But my mom always encouraged me to, like, work through really tough things with, like, my friends. For example, like, my best friend and I were both super competitive soccer players and runners and, like middle school through high school until we graduated. And I remember just, we were so competitive with each other when we were so young that we couldn't even like go and hang out with each other sometimes because we were just always trying to like one up. And I remember like we just got home from this run and we were both in tears because, you know, we were like competing and it was unfair or something. And my mom and my friend, Hannah's mom, we're both like, all right, you girls get to choose. Like, what do you care most about? Like, do you want to be like the best, fastest runner? Do you want to stay best friends? And that was like a really crazy lesson to learn as a young what an amazing female. Analogy. For yeah. Life. Totally. I mean, God. 
Oh, yeah. And like, I mean, I was on soccer teams and swim teams from like a really, really young age. And you have to, that is sometimes what I worry about, like these individualized sports, like endurance sports for young kids. I think it's really important for them to be in team or class environments. And we're going to see some repercussions because of COVID, of course. But like, you learn really hard lessons, you know, when you're young. And I think like my experience pushing through how to be a competitive driven woman or young woman as like a kid has really served me well now. And like, I mean, look at the gravel drama, if you will, that started to kind of bubble up a couple weeks ago with like this whole, is it a team sport? Is it an individual sport? And like all of that kind of clouded one woman's success. And like, I noticed some choice men tried to like weirdly pit women against each other. And honestly, we've kind of all like, I sent Lauren a text and I was like, I need you to know that I am a huge advocate of you. And I support you from like, a friend and a competitor and like I've known her for a long time through her head injury and you know blah 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 and end of the story like we're meeting tomorrow collectively with like 20 women on this call and figuring out how we all feel about like kind of the future of women in gravel racing. That makes me so happy I just put my hand on my heart because (laughs) like honestly when I first saw that conversation arise it made me a little uncomfortable. Totally. Not that discomfort is bad like I actually think we need to be having uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. and I love that I saw that she listened and rode the next race without support and our inclination is always to be defensive first and then we sit back and say oh maybe I I have something to learn from this. Yeah, and, totally. You know, and I, I love that even though you all were coming at this from slightly different perspectives, yeah. you know that you're in it together and you'd rather be friends with Lauren. Oh my God. Then, you know, and I so can't that, imagine going through that, having enemies in the sport. <laughs> I know. It's hard enough. I love that. And I love that, like, part of what I love about gravel cycling is just the sense of community and, you know, like the women's forums before races and like the, the panels where people can learn about what it's like to be a pro female cyclist or, you know, and you don't even have to be a bike racer. Like there are these amazing groups, like radical adventure rides, I think RAR, they are like the most inclusive group. Like they have like a, a gravel squad, but they do all these different adventures. They bike pack, some of them race. And it's like, you know, LGBTQ, like non-binary. Like if you want to try this, there's a space for you here. And they are doing such awesome, awesome work. And like, I just feel like my role having learned those lessons early as a young female (laughs) in sport this is what we're supposed to work through together that's right why would you ever and like the whole media component of that was just right (laughs) it's kind of what I learned which is why like the power of conversation is so important so like I like picked up the phone and like called people and had conversations and it honestly was like a really positive experience. Like I've become much closer to a lot of people and to your point earlier, like the community is why I do this. And I was feeling really, really crummy, which is a huge bummer after Steamboat, such a cool event. And then, you know, there was just some like drama that week and then I went straight to Montana for this race and I was like holy cow how am I going to do this race I feel like I just want to go back to mountain biking at this point and like (laughs) I don't know not do this and the woman who put this race on called the last best ride we had a women's brunch and it was the coolest thing because like we sat around it was like the worst weather outside everyone was like freezing cold And we went around this room. It took like two hours to get around this room. And every woman said where they were from, what they do, what their job was, why they liked riding. And it was like the best timed event and like community love that I could have gotten to experience. And I just like sat back and I met this amazing Olympic Nordic ski racer and her experience with team building and women's empowerment. It was just 
the coolest thing ever. And I came home and I was like, okay, I can retire now. I'm happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that, you know, you're all leaders in gravel cycling and gravel racing. Yeah, totally. And I love that you took this very awkward, uncomfortable conversation, which is not over, by the way. And you're like figuring it out together and everybody's going to sit at the table and discuss. And so often these things happen and they're just left, left for men to decide or left for the angry person to fight over with the other angry person. And I love that you're all and online. It's yeah, just, it's, it's just, I don't know if I could say anything. It's like every time you read an article, even if there's quotes, it's just like, man, I wonder what that person actually was trying to say right. is kind of how I feel. And right. And then social media, I don't even, we don't even have to get into that. That's (laughs) true. That's true. Um, Okay. So you mentioned your mom earlier. Yeah. So let's talk about Margie for a second. Mom! (laughs) So Margie is Sarah's mom. And I met Margie because she came along to support Sarah on the Oregon Trail. She drove the van, which (laughs) Sarah has this amazing 1990s van, which is painted and amazing that she can travel in to go to her races, at least the ones that are on the West Coast, right? It's an old short bus. It's so cute. (laughs) And so she was at camp every day with Norman. And what's your mom's dog's name? Tula. Tula. And anyway, yeah, Margie's the coolest. And I also want to say that your mom is now my style idol. I mean, isn't she amazing? She's amazing. So women in their fifties, like me, who care about fashion and not big F fashion, but like style. Yeah. Style. We need older women to look up to. And so your mom is my new, my new icon. And we like follow each other on social media now. So it's Ooh, really cute. I get that warms my heart. I know. I get heart eyes from her sometimes. all the time. She will be, she is your biggest supporter. <laughs> That's what I love. Anyway, so, so your mom is, is an art, she's, she's yeah. a jewelry maker, right? And so you grew up in a pretty creative yes. household. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My mom was a potter actually oh, wow. growing up and she had her studio in our house in Albuquerque, like. She had an employee and she had started in college. Like my mom was born and raised in Albuquerque and she has just this amazing network of, you know, really wildly successful artist friends from Santa Fe to Albuquerque. And and my mom is included in that. And yeah, I grew up thinking that, you know, every household had handmade pottery. And a kiln. (laughs) And a kiln in their house. And like, yeah, she would be like showing clients her work. And my sister and I would be like running naked through the backyard. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I just grew up and my mom, like, you know, obviously like I caught the creative bug when I was in middle school. I remember drawing, you know, like I loved being grounded, (laughs) which like my mom and I like laughed about the other day. Because I was like, how was it trying to punish me? Because I remember liking being grounded because it gave me this reason that I could say like, well, can't go out, which is kind of weirdly how COVID felt in some ways. It was like the best excuse to not see people. And that's kind of when I discovered like art and drawing. And then, you know, my mom was obviously like incredibly supportive and also a great role model for me and like how to own your own small business as an artist. I remember her going to art shows and, you know, showing pieces and selling to different stores in Albuquerque. And then (laughs) when she retired as a potter, she became a ceramics teacher in high school and then learned jewelry making and like basically mini welding, you know, just this whole other trade. And she's just wildly creative and really a smart businesswoman as well. And so now she retired as a teacher and then she just went straight back in and works at this place called Meltdown Studio in Albuquerque, who's run by Lauren. I just totally spaced on her name, but her and her wife run this metal studio and artists can like rent spaces from her, but then they also teach classes. So now my mom teaches jewelry making classes in Albuquerque. And then I brought her along to a five day bike race in a short bus in a heat wave with our two res dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she was such a ray of sunshine. She is. She's a, yeah, a huge part of my success. I would say. I love that. Yeah. So, um, hi Margie. (laughs) Hi, Mom. So I want to talk about fear for a second. So as I mentioned, I've been riding road bikes for many years, and I'm really fond of descending, actually, which you said that you're either not fond of it or you're slow at it, whatever, relative to climbing. (laughs) I actually have learned to embrace climbing, but I don't have as tiny climber's body, so climbing is a little slower for me. Anyway, 
I'm consistently trying to get over 40 miles an hour on my descents. Yeah. But when I started gravel racing, or not even racing, just riding, I became really terrified of descending because descending on gravel is really tricky. So you, you can't rely on your brakes like you can on a road bike because actually you're more likely to crash if you brake on things like gravel or sand or whatever. And I crashed pretty badly on a descent last April and tore the left side of my body up. I healed in time for Oregon Trail, but it was pretty brutal. And so, and then I became even more fearful and that fear literally slows me down so much. So Jody, my training partner and I are on road, pretty compatible. She's a little bit of a stronger climber than I am, but we ride together three or four times a week. We're always together and on gravel, she's like miles ahead of me. And I think it's because I, I, I don't have the technical skill yet. And she's been riding gravel almost as long as you. But I also think it's fear. And so I'm just curious, like how you manage those rides where you are like on some really steep, treacherous descent or you're on a mountain road that, you know, like I think to ride gravel or mountain well, you have to really have a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in sort of going into these really potentially dangerous situations. So how do you deal yeah. with that? Because yeah. I feel like I need advice or I need coaching or something. Like I, I really, that's the thing. I, I love gravel riding, but I've been really struggling with my fear. Mm. Oh, I love that we're talking about this. Cause like I, you know, I entered gravel from a mountain biker perspective. So like I had learned all these things that I hear you talking about, but in mountain biking, So because I learned to mountain bike as like a young adult and not just like a junior, like it's really hard. Like when you face fear as an adult, it's a lot harder to overcome that than when, I mean, you, I don't know if you've ever like coached people with swimming who have had a drowning experience. It's really, really challenging compared to like kids. So like for me, it's breaking down the different components. So like a lot of the times, actually riding a bicycle downhill, there's a lot of technical pieces that are happening from like when you break, how far ahead you look. With gravel racing, you're adding in what type of terrain is beneath you. Is it like packed gravel? Is it moon dust sand? Is it the loose rocks on hard pack, which I think is the hardest what type of turn is it? Is it banked? Is it flat? How steep is the terrain? Is it a blind corner? Do I have to think about a car? Like there's like so many different components. And so like, I always think like actually removing speed and thinking about the technicality of how to actually take a corner. And for me, like mountain biking really, really helps with that because there's actually like, you're going slower than you are on a gravel road and like you add in speed at the very end. Like I've just started trying to get better at adding speed into like high speed gravel descents. There was a couple in Oregon and there was something, some really, really hard days out there, like really long sustained fast, fast descents. And like you and I have both had bad crashes at Oregon trail. Like there's the blind corner where you don't know what's around the next bend. So I would say like Pop for somewhat, yeah. And like ruts, like I crashed into this massive rut that was around a turn and I had made an error cause I was following a guy too closely and you know, he yelled out and had time to hop literally like bunny hop out and I just crashed in. So all of that to say, I think going back to the basics is super important. So like for women, our center of balance is different than men. It comes from our hips, not our shoulders. And so having the right position, like if it's a super steep, rocky, mountain bikey descent, I'm out of the saddle, but I'm not so far back. Like a lot of people like kind of go to that old school mountain biking skills coach where like, if you're scared, put your weight back. But actually what that does is unweights your front end. And then you're really likely to have like a front end wheel washout. So there's like so many different components, but The biggest thing is the fear piece. I think a lot of the times it's because you're overwhelmed with so many decisions that you have to make when you're on a descent. And the way that I've gotten around that is, like I said, I remove speed. So I actually try to really slow myself down a lot. And I think about the mechanics of the turns. And I think what helps is like, 
if you have a classic descent that you can go and work on some of this with, like another person, either follow someone who's a really good descender and has a lot of confidence, and you just slowly show yourself that you're like, oh, I can take that corner at the speed. I'm really good at that. Like, I did all my braking ahead of time. I'm not braking in the turn, which makes you lose traction. (laughs) And then you're, like, braking again on the exit if it's another, like, high-speed turn coming up. But it's just kind of, like, showing yourself all these little steps. Like, oh, I got that. Okay, check. On to the next skill set. But not biting off too much at one time. But I think you're already doing the thing you're supposed to do, which is, like, One, I can tell that you're just such a process-based learner. And like, I mean, obviously, like with your career as an artist, it's all about the process, right? And like figuring pieces out and like you're a good little investigator because you're even asking all these questions. But I think the best thing you can do is learn from other people. Like I'm assuming you're a visual learner. And so for me, like I have to go with somebody who is definitely faster than me, but not too much faster because then right. like Dylan he's like when we go mountain biking it's insane it's he's just gone yeah <laughs> I like literally don't even see him on a descent that's crazy I, I also Jody and I have done some rides together where she'll go right in front of me and like take turns and then show me what to do yeah I started working with a coach last spring she's on my team but she also coaches for Wenzel coaching and so oh cool I might start working with her again and I want to go to I wish there were more like gravel clinics I know there's mountain bike clinics I would even fly to one that's a good point I just feel like they're I know Unbound has a women's clinic it's happening this fall and it was like too soon for me I think there's a co-ed one in the spring but I feel like someone should sponsor like a week-long gravel clinic I I've also that is a great idea Hint, hint. Maybe I'll do a gravel clinic. Hint, hint. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, um, and then other people have suggested to me that I either get or borrow a mountain bike and start training on a mountain bike because so much of the more difficult gravel is just so similar. So Yeah, I think it's just building up that confidence, like you said. Like mountain biking was like a really painful emotional and physical yeah. process for me, but also like the reason I still do it, I mean, I signed up for like an Enduro World Series, which let me tell you, I had no business being there. That's like the most descending and technical gap jumps, blind gap jump, like scary stuff. But I think when you like get a win and with mountain biking, it's not necessarily for me, like the technical side of mountain biking, if I nail a rock section or if I do something that I've been scared of for a really long time, holy cow, it is the craziest pro like the whole scope of that process is super intense and so, so rewarding. Yeah. And I swear it serves me in all of the other parts of my life because I'm like, man, if I can do that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the way I felt, even though, you know, I was walking my bike quite a bit during Oregon Trail. I was like, oh, I can do anything like that. I can do oh, anything. Yeah. yeah, I felt really empowered. Totally. And you were like the, the moment that I passed you when you had fallen – I wish I had had enough oxygen in my lungs to tell you, like, I just watched 50 other people behind you crash, you know, who were walking behind, like, there are always people ahead of you and behind you. And it's such a cool space to be Mm -hmm. in, because, like, when everyone finishes, it's like a cool energy at the end, because everyone's, like, sharing these, like, war stories, you know? It's true. A woman who did Orient Trail rode with my team, just like joined us the other day. And I didn't recognize her, but then we started talking and then I remembered who she was. And she's like, oh, you're a badass. You were way ahead of me. You know, I'm really slow or whatever. And I was like, I guess it's all relative, right? It was really cute. Totally. Yes, exactly. So are you ready for your rapid fire questions? There's only four of them. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And um, (laughs) I'll, I'll start with the easier one. Actually... I think I know the answer to the second one based on something you said <laughs> earlier, but let's let's go. Okay, coffee or beer? Oh, ooh, coffee. Sand or big chunks of loose gravel? <laughs> big chunks of loose gravel. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I think so. All right. A 30-mile 5% climb or a 10-mile 8% climb? Mmm, 30-mile. Okay. <laughs> Spandex or denim? Oh, denim. <laughs> I love denim. I love a good denim. (laughs) I know in your world, uh, there's a lot of denim. And you even like some gravel races, you get a denim vest or something as your Yes, I got a huge. I know you're tiny to begin (laughs) with, but like, I just, for people who don't follow Sarah, you should follow her on Instagram because 
and I'll link to her profile in my show notes. But yeah, there was like one race you got and it's totally big on you. Like the Oh the my god. Race. And I got a sweater in Iceland and it, it is so cool. It's it's knit by like an Icelandic grandma is like yeah. the tag on it. And it's so massive, yeah. but it's super cool. I've like won some crazy credits. I feel for I, I'm like five seven hundred and thirty-two pounds or whatever, and like I have to wear an extra small. I can't even imagine like how hard it is for you oh. to find clothes sometimes. Uh, I buy kids' clothes. <laughs> kids' clothes. <laughs> My wife is really small, and uh, same thing. She's just yeah. Like, she probably buys shopping. Honestly, buying kids' gee gear is pretty sweet because it's like the same quality and like way cheaper. Way cheaper. <laughs> yeah, we discovered that um, Clay loves like Izod polo shirts, and we discovered that the kids' Izod polos are like. $50 cheaper than the like adult women's ones and so oh my god honestly I see like infant kids clothes and I'm like man I <laughs> wish they made, made those in like you know big kids yep, totally. <laughs> oh yeah totally yeah but they actually this company ripped in out of Colorado they make it's like athletic denim now so like I started racing in jean shorts that were just like crappy thrift store I think like Miley Cyrus yeah. brand, like stretch denim <laughs> But now they're like super light. I was kind of like skeptical at first, but I've worn a couple pairs and they're awesome because they're like pretty thin. What's denim. the name of the company? I got to put a link to it. Yeah, you got to you gotta look it up. What's uh, it called? Ripton. Ripton. R-I-P-T-O-N. Okay, yeah. sweet. Yeah, anyway. Sarah, this was so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this. Like, I think we connected before Iceland and I had like, one kind of like yeah. tough day and I was like at least I get to talk to yeah. Lisa <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, this was so fun for me too I love it when I meet people that I have so much in common with and yeah um, likewise yeah. and it's so it's really like I feel still kind of starstruck after taking one of your online courses and then getting to meet you and then having the pleasure of being on your podcast oh. so thank you so much thank you. for having me and I'm so thrilled that you're getting into cycling I know well there's I'm or like you're in it yeah I'm in it but I'm like so uh, gravel I'm just at the beginning and if it were up to my mother who will probably listen to this because she listens no. to my podcast she would not want me to do it anymore and actually Clay's like told me that I can't do gravel grinder or Oregon trail next year, even if I feel more <laughs> equipped to do it, but I've refused to promise that I will never do that race again. And I definitely yes. next year, we'll just get you some more skills. Yeah. Next year, my goal is to do like five races and Jody and I are even thinking about traveling to the one in Bentonville. That's like the, oh, the cool. tarmac mountain. You, you ride yes, a the gravel rule bike. Of three. Yeah. I'm going to do that one. Okay. So we should talk. I'll see you there. Anyway. Yeah. And I, who knows what other ones I'll do because cool. I'm really had so much fun following Uproot, uh, Rooted Vermont as well. And I, it's a little yeah. bit more of a stretch for me because it's so far, but I don't know. I'm just really excited about gravel culture and gravel cycling. And I'm so glad you're part yeah, of it. So. We need more, we need more Lisa's <laughs> out there. So I'm so stoked that you're getting into it. Thank you. And if I can help in any way, you just... You know how well, to reach me. I may take you up on that. I'll be like showing up at your doorstep. <laughs> please <laughs> do. Rico, you please can teach me how to Please teach me how to descend. Anyway. I will. Okay. All right, Sarah. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Lisa. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Editing of this podcast by the amazing Gabe Garber. Thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the CoLoop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone. Everyone.